You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Men. And bringing you today's podcast is Himalaya. You can get Locked on Bucks on the brand new podcast app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. Bucks. It is also brought to you by Wise W Y Z E. You can head to wyze.com slash locked to get the guaranteed lowest price. That's wyze.com slash locked to get the lowest price on Wise Cams. That's the indoor camera that does it all. So be sure to go out and do that today. Frank, we teased uh, a mailbag the other day. I then decided that I would rather go to the Brewers game than record a podcast, as you pointed out yesterday. Uh, it was very selfish of me. I did not think of our listeners. Um, and now that means we are we are moving a mailbag to Friday. I just My brain just froze because I was like, Friday? But it's Thursday. Um, yes, we, we do record <laughs> the day before uh, these podcasts generally post. So that's how my week is going. Um, but yeah, we're finally getting around to our mailbag. And um, I mean, I, I mentioned it last night, but pretty much none of the questions we got were about the Detroit Pistons. So everything was still pretty topical, uh, regardless of whether, I mean, we could have a- answered these questions three days, four days from now, and they'd probably be all pretty <laughs> much the same questions and the same answers. So um I guess that's that's the good part about playing the Pistons in the first round is um, the questions uh, are are pretty much all not about them. Yeah, shout out to Evergreen Content, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> so I guess let's let's hop right in. Uh, we do always tend to go long, so we'll try to keep it uh, short and sweet. But we we all know that that won't happen. Um, I don't know. I don't think there's really a a very I don't. I was look, looking through the topics of all the questions, and as I've said before, like Frank kind of gathers them all together, and then you know I try to group them, and it's like, you know, we're kind of all over the place. So I think we're just going to do a bunch of these, and uh, you know, hopefully we get through them all, and maybe we don't get through them all, and just get through some, but we're just going to start plowing through them. So at John Dozel on Twitter asks us, what do you think is the Bucks' best five-man lineup if they go to a switching defense? I know everyone loves DJ, but I feel like we have plenty of other viable options who can switch and be much better offensively. Um, you know, I think this is an interesting question. I, I think the the guy I would be thinking of being able to switch and be better offensively is Nikola Mirotic, but I think I got to question that at the moment, right? Like, he, he hasn't looked like he's been able to really shake off the rust. Uh, 
he, he definitely got handicapped multiple times this year by being on the floor at the same time as Urson and a center. Um, like that's just, that's just not great. Or really just in general, just being on the floor at the same time as Urson, I think makes it tough for him to be truly successful defensively. But, you know, I think I've had some, I think some of my questions are made about his defense. Uh, so, I mean, I think that would be kind of who is being referred to about being much better offensively. I think maybe you could shift all the way down and go, uh, you know, Bledsoe, Hill, Brown, Middleton, Giannis. But I, I don't know. Do, do, do you actually think that would be better if you would just kind of slot DJ in? Yeah, I, I still think your best option is probably with, with DJ at the big in the big, big man rotation with Giannis, you know, I mean that it's not like some, some lineup that they haven't run. I mean, DJ has played in lots of combinations where he's been, you know, technically the tallest guy on the floor. He, he is technically a little taller than, than Ursan and Miritich. I believe he's six eleven. Those guys are like six ten. So, um, so yeah, I mean, DJ has effectively had to play a lot of center and we've seen him, we've seen him match up with really big guys, including, you know, people like Joel Embiid, at times and, and obviously you know like i mean he's, he's not gonna just like bear down and and snuff out monster guys in the post but that's not really what the bucks defense really demands of him anyway so um i agree like offensively obviously he's he's not a miritich um for sure um you know he's not chris middleton if you're trying to make the argument as you were saying you know slide middleton to the floor um but i i still think that's probably your best look if if only because it's not really that different from things the Bucks have done all year, right? Running DJ with yep. with a guy like Giannis. So I, I think that's still probably your best combination. Um, and obviously, you know, DJ, as much as he's not like a, you know, fill it up type score, not as prolific as, as Miritich when he's cooking, um, he obviously can stretch the floor. He can, you know, play with energy. Um, you know, he's he's a very willing passer. You know, maybe not a great passer, but but certainly willing, um, at least average for, for a four or five type guy. Um, probably, probably above average there. So I think, yeah, that would, those would be my big men. And then, um, you know, I, I, but I, I want to say this too. I think your point about Miritich is, is a good one. I, I don't really have any data to back it up, but I feel like some of the reason why people have been kind of like less than impressed with Miritich's defense is because I feel like he's also gotten stuck defending smaller guys a lot more than, than maybe Ursan has. Um, and so it's kind of like mm-hmm. just been like, he's going to, you know, yeah, Miritich is definitely going to be worse guarding a three than Ursan is guarding a four. You know, it just kind of makes sense. Like they're both, they're both fours who you know probably guard some fives and maybe in the pinch can can occasionally guard a smaller guy on a switch, but that's not you know what you really want them to do. Um, I think as far as the other guys, it's kind of interesting because the Bucks have a number of guys who can switch um, multiple spots, like from one to three. I mean, I, I would say we've probably seen Sterling Brown and Pat Connaughton defend that range of positions more than any other guys mm-hmm. like we've seen bud be very willing to put pat on on point guards even at times um you know some of that has been by just fact that they haven't had any other like you know they have injuries especially when hill was out and brogdon was out um so they have like a number of options there on the wing obviously chris you'd want in there um but as far as like you know who the other guys are i mean you know Connaughton and brown are pretty damn good for guys who wouldn't really be at the top of your list right i mean you assume you put bledsoe in because he's your best uh your best guard um and obviously brogdon we've talked about he's not really like a good at switching down like i think we obviously have talked about his struggles kind of going over screens but in a switching defense you know he doesn't have to go over screens right if you're really just (laughs) switching everything so that actually kind of plays better for him where he can just use his strength he can obviously 
defend bigger guys um, more easily than a lot of a lot of guys. So um, kind of a that, that's sort of the irony of this defense is they actually have like kind of a an embarrassment of riches of sorts in terms of guys that that could do that type play that type of defense, um, but they just don't really have to. And I, you know, ironically, you know, you'd never talk about Brook Lopez in this type of context, but I don't know if you saw. I retweeted a. Um, Something the other day from uh, I think it was Krishna Narsu um, who had some number Krishna Narsu who had some numbers on big men like centers switching onto small players and he had Brooke Lopez as like by far the lowest defensive rating in those scenarios um, which I don't think is that <laughs> shock- I don't think that's actually shocking to us because we felt like Brooke has been surprisingly good yeah. at that um, now would I expect him to be the best in the league. Well, I don't know. Maybe for like a traditional center, because obviously you know that's different than say comparing him to like you know Ford or Giannis or something. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting. Um, it's definitely an interesting thing to to kind of see in the data because I think Brook has been kind of underrated there, and I think that's a reason why you probably will not see the Bucks go to kind of a lot of like all switching sort of type schemes. You know, I think they're, they're really going to try to keep Brook on the floor given how good he's been for them. And, you know, certainly the, the Celtics series might be a very good test of that um, because certainly the Pistons are, are really not doing anything to, to, to kind of test that, especially with Andre Drummond. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I, this this whole series just kind of like I don't know it, it's so weird that you know you just don't really get to every time during that the, you know that first half I was like oh you know you know maybe we'll see the Bucks make this adjustment or that adjustment and then I was just like we're eh, probably just gonna try to play better and eh, that that's what they did in the second half so uh, that'll be interesting to watch going forward all right let's keep it moving at Nathan Gelb on Twitter asks. Do you think there's a possibility that we could rest Giannis if we were to go up 3-0 or if Blake ends up being out for the whole series? I think this should be pretty short and sweet. No. No. Excellent. Let's keep it moving. Um, Spags at Spagcore asks, let's say Bragdon returns and you're coaching round two versus Boston. What's your rotation in minutes per player? I'll hang up and listen for your answer. And... Uh, I guess actually we have another question. Hey, I'm, I'm gonna yeah, I'll loop it in. Um, Mike yeah, yeah. Mike Baird asks, looking ahead to Malcolm Brogdon potentially returning for round two. Just curious, what you think his role might initially be, considering last year's slow return as well as Nico's rusty rusty start to the playoffs? Do you think it'd be best for Bud to ease him in versus starting him as soon as he's available? Thanks for all the content you guys put out and belated belated congrats to Frank for winning the March Madness of Bucks Twitter. Cheers, Mike Baird. Um, so I, I guess this is this is another spot where this uh, buy essentially in round one is really throwing me off is because we really I, I have no idea what Bud's playoff rotations look like. I, I I truly don't have any idea because you know everything has you know just kind of been up in the air and um you know we're seeing Mirtich always enter at the start of the second quarter or at least we have in the first two games um so maybe that's where his spot in the rotation is but also Bud's talked about what trying to get him more minutes so like I I truly don't have a good feel for how deep Bud will go I don't know if this is a situation where he still tries to play 10 a night uh and then 
maybe shorten it up if if you know things aren't going quite as well as you'd like them to in the second half. I don't know if it's a nine guy a night kind of thing. I don't know if it's eight guys, and then if things go poorly, you pull someone out uh, and try to go with a, a ninth man in there. I, I I really don't know how it'll go, so I, I'm I'm gonna avoid the what's your entire rotation in minutes per player part of this question because I, I truly have no idea. Um, but with Brogdon, I, I do think you have to be really careful with you know how you approach bringing him back and what you try to do with him because obviously he's he was great for you this season, but you know I, I think we saw a player that was kind of a shell of himself last playoffs uh, as Brogdon returned from injury. And I don't know if you can, you know, if you, if you get into a real dogfight with the Boston Celtics, I don't know if you can really afford giving, I don't want to say giving away minutes, but you know, like having minutes like the Nico minutes right now where it's like, okay, this guy clearly hasn't played in a little while. He doesn't appear to fit. Like everything's not going quite right. Uh, you know, like that, those are pretty tough minutes to give up. And I think that the Bucks are probably going to have to, at, at least in my mind, I think Aaron on the side of caution makes a lot more sense to me where, uh, you know, you keep Sterling Brown in the starting lineup and you allow your team to continue getting off to good starts and, and kind of trying to roll that way. But uh, I'm curious, Frank, where, where do you kind of fall out on? You can go in any direction if you do want to talk about like the overall rotations or if you just want to talk about Brogdon. Well, I think you should give yourself more credit, Eric. I think you have a much better sense of this and you can get probably guess, we can probably guess this much more closely than we're, I think we're, we, we, we don't know necessarily on the margins, like some of the kind of swing minutes, you know, like where, where some of the sure, like, sure. more more end of the rotation stuff goes by. But, you know, I think we know enough to, to say that, um, Ursan's going to play, right? Whether we, you know, Ursan yeah. and Miritich, clearly, you know, given that Nico is struggling and he's getting minutes and DJ Wilson doesn't play. Um, and I just, I can't picture Bud not See, my playing. question is whether or not Miritich stays. Like that, that to me is a question. Like if he does actually stay in the rotation. I think he does. I think it was a yeah. big enough acquisition. And, and I do think, you know, there is some upside play there for him. But I, to me, that is something that, I still question just because Bud is so much of a stickler for defense. And that is obviously not Miritich's strength. Yeah. I just think he's going to try to make it work. Um, Cause yeah. I think, you know, they're, they're, they're playing the long game in this, this for better or worse. Right. And this may, you know, come back to haunt them if they can't make it out of the second round, for instance. But um, I think they're playing the long game with this. So I, I, I imagine, you know, again, if like Miritich just like, literally can't make a shot the rest of the series and then maybe he does give dj a look um to start the next round presumably against the celtics um i imagine though he will be very slow to make that change probably um but again like you know we'll see how kind of how the matchups shake out and, and kind of how that how that looks um but i think it you know ursan and nico maybe maybe dj um steals steals minutes there if, if especially if Meritage continues to struggle I mean, ironic, right? That Ursan is the one guy we feel like is definitely going to get minutes off the bench from the big <laughs> spots. Kind of crazy, but you know, with the injuries and you know, just the fact that he just doesn't seem to like DJ as much as those guys, kind of is what it is. Um, I think other than that, I see. I'll play the, I'll play the contrarians part. Um, I think you do obviously want to be careful with Brogdon. Like you, you really can't expect him to come in and play at a high level right away. Um, but I think the flip side is. 
you know, Bud is not the only coach who is, you know, wary of like totally jumbling up his rotations if he doesn't have to. Um, I think ultimately, if you ask Bud who he expects to be starting in the NBA finals if the Bucks get that far, I imagine he would say Malcolm Brogdon. Um, so I, I feel like one way to do it would be you just put him in to start and then there's really not as much pressure on him anyway. Now, probably the biggest problem mm-hmm. there is that maybe he gets exposed more defensively going against opposing starters. Um, but there's less pressure on him to make plays and do stuff if he's playing with the starters as well. You know, he can be more of a spot up guy and kind of like pick his spots creation wise. So I think maybe the answer is, and he's normally the first guy to sub out anyway um, when he starts. So maybe you just bring that in a little bit or you don't run him as much with the second units or you kind of stagger, you know, Middleton and Bledsoe more from Giannis. So you have fewer of those minutes where it's like Brogdon and like nobody else or Brogdon and Giannis or something like that. Um, So I could see him starting, maybe not the first game he comes back, but I could see Brogdon starting very quickly after he comes back, just just to like start getting that rhythm of like, okay, Malcolm's back. Mm. He's a starter. He's going to start. And then just maybe he just doesn't play long, you know, he just doesn't play long shifts anymore. Cause you know, again, they want to, I agree that they won't want to play him 30 minutes right away. Um, so I could see that happening. And then I think as the rest of the rotation, um, I mean, I think Sterling and Pat have been too good at this point not to play real minutes, um, you know, barring some, some major change or injury. Um, I think, you know, again, George Hill, Sterling, Pat, I think those guys kind of have to play. Um, and then I think you've got, you know, let's say those two two big guys. So I think you end up at a 10-man rotation. And obviously the odd man out there would be Tony Snell, which, you know, as you've pointed out, Tony was the only was the only guy in that mix off the bench who literally didn't miss any games before he got hurt. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's a, a kind of a cruel blow if, if he's the guy kind of left on the outside looking in. Um, but we'll see, right? I mean, um, you know, nothing would, would completely shock me. And I guess the flip side as well is with Brogdon maybe being slow to come back. I mean, I, I don't know what his kind of return arc looks like, right? I mean, if he's going to play 15, 20 minutes a game for the first few games, I, I have no idea, right? I mean, we, we don't know exactly what his minute limitations are going to be or how effective he can be in extended minutes. So maybe that means Tony Snell can play some minutes because, you know, the Malcolm Brogdon role is, is you know, not not the old Malcolm Brogdon role, right? It'll be kind of split up. So, um you know, it would not shock me if, you know, 11 guys play most nights, even for the Bucks. Um, and again, obviously, if, if that happens and kind of Snell, DJ or, or the, the next guys kind of battling. But I mean, this is why the Bucks, part of why the Bucks have been so good this year is because, you know, we're talking about Tony Snell and DJ Wilson being the 11th and 12th guys in the rotation. Um, and that's that's a big luxury to have. And um, again, I. Well, we'll see. DJ, DJ Wilson in particular, I think, you know. Um, I, I hope that the Bucks are not too slow to, to leverage his abilities, especially uh, against a team like the Celtics, who have, you know, a lot of guys who are kind of like mobile wing slash combo forward type guys. Um, you know, I, I don't want to see Urson out there trying to defend Jalen Brown <laughs> in, in a, like a small yeah. ball unit. Like, I have no appetite for that, you know. Um, so we'll we'll kind of see. All right, uh, let's keep it moving. Troy Sampson asks, Eric, Powell was brought in for his leadership slash experience. What examples of his impact have you seen so far in the locker room or shoot around? Um, I mean, I think just when what you see from Powell Gasol, like when you see him 
on the bench when you see him on TV. Like that's just kind of who he is all the time. And, and I guess kind of what I'm saying is like, if you like, I've caught this on some replays or uh, like, you know, some broadcasts uh, like you'll just kind of see him generally talking to people and just like being around. And again, like that may, may not seem like a lot, but uh, I do think guys kind of feel that, that, you know, like Powell just kind of is a, a wealth of knowledge where he can just, you know, kind of have something for you in kind of any moment. And, you know, when you think of the way that Powell played basketball for all those years, like he obviously saw the floor very well offensively, defensively, like, okay, defensively, maybe he wasn't the best player, but you know, he just kind of got it. I think it would be the best way to, to kind of say what Pau Gasol had when, you know, he was really at his best. So uh, to me that, that that's really it. Like, and again, I think, Plenty of people can argue about, you know, whether or not that actually means something. But I do think it, if you talk around the team, a lot of those guys will say that it has meant something to them to have him around and have him just kind of there as as a resource in some ways. So um, that would be how I'd answer that one. Let's keep it rolling. Pentakev on Twitter asks, any chance Jack Sigma gets his number retired by the Bucks in light of his selection to the Basketball Hall of Fame? I think it's incredibly unlikely. Um, I just don't think he played for the Bucks quite long enough. Um, maybe he did, but I, I, don't, I don't think so. Frank, what do you think? No, it, retiring Jack Sigma's number would have been a very like Herb Cole Bucks thing to do. I feel like you know, like yep. uh, you know, like there, there's a number of examples of of guys who didn't really play. Well, not a, not a, not many. I mean, I'm Bob Lanier is the Bob Lanier. <clears throat> yeah, Bob Lanier is the obvious one who like I mean, he just didn't you know, he, what was he in Milwaukee like 4 years or something like that. Um, you know, Sigma made All-Star teams, but he didn't never made never made an All-Star team. Um he was here really at the tail end of his career. Was still a good player. Um, but like you just look at kind of cuz I'm always very biased towards um like what did you accomplish in Milwaukee, right? I mean, like um like I see this a lot when people talk about like who the second best Bucks player of all time is. And like, I've talked about how, you know, Moncrief and Marcus are like clearly the two guys right there. Um, and then somebody will inevitably be like, Oh, Oscar Robertson, what, what you, what about Oscar? And it's just like, well, Oscar, I mean, won a championship here. So he's absolutely like, I think it's justified that they retired his number. Um, but like, I mean, look at his numbers. I mean, this was not triple double Oscar. Like by the time he was in Milwaukee, I think he made, I think one all NBA team and two all-star teams uh, in the four years he was in Milwaukee. So still a really good player, obviously two finals, you know, a championship. I mean, can never understate obviously that impact due to the winning they had while he was here. But um, I, you know, in general, like I feel like you got to put in more time and um, you know, and that's why similarly, that's like, you know, you look at guys like Ray Allen and Glenn Robinson. I mean, two all-star teams compare that to guys like Sydney and Marcus who each made, I think four or five in Milwaukee, you know, multiple all NBA teams. Like I don't think Ray ever made an all NBA team in Milwaukee. I know Glenn did not make an all NBA team in Milwaukee. So, um, you know, again, like I, I view Glenn and Ray as sort of like kind of bubble cases and you can throw Terry Cummings in there as well. Um, uh, I, I just think you kind of need to be here longer, do more stuff. And Sigma's, I think to me, a pretty easy case of a guy who just, kind of wasn't here and didn't wasn't here long enough slash didn't do 
didn't have a big enough impact while he was here um, to, to merit that kind of, uh, of recognition. But it will be interesting to see, I think, with, you know, Rayon, Glenn Robinson. And, and again, I don't, Terry Cummings, like, I just have, I just never hear anybody even talk about him, like, having any sort of relationship with the organization, really. So, you know, I think that's a key part of this as well. Um, you know, some guys are just sort of like around the team. Um, or, or have continued relationship, like Michael Red, for instance, another kind of good example you could, you know, potentially throw in that kind of Robinson and and uh, and Ray Allen camp. Um, how to put up numbers here? I think you know only one All Star appearance, so you know some of the kind of you know, was not an elite player, um, but has maintained a good relationship. Wouldn't shock me if Michael Red got his number retired at some point, but um, I don't know. I feel like the Bucks. Are there? There are a few guys who got their numbers retired that that probably shouldn't have, and so I think at this point, you know, hey, raise the bar a little bit. All right, uh, Hector Johnson on Twitter: When Tony gets back, do him and Sterling take all of the two slash three non Middleton minutes? Does Pat have a rotation spot? If so, is he then bumped? If slash when Brogdon gets back, thanks guys, keep up the good work. Thank you for that, Hector. And uh, I guess, yeah, I I think I'm kind of in a spot where I. I I think Tony has lost his spot. Like I, I don't think Tony. I don't think Tony gets that back. I, I think Sterling has been good enough uh, during all this time, and obviously, Bud has talked about the physicality, the edge, the toughness that he brings. That you know, I think that is a real thing that you want. And then you know, Pat has has led the. I think in both nights, let has no. I, I think. I'm trying to think if he led the Bucks in minutes in game two, but it, I mean, he's playing a lot and they, they really are enjoying everything that he's bringing to the table. And, you know, they're trying to get as much out of him as possible. And I just think they're really pleased with, with everything that he's doing right now. So I, I think Tony's spot is, is gone. I mean, I think the one opportunity could be, I mean, and, and again, this is inflated by somewhat by just the, fact that the bucks have been blowing teams you know the, the pistons out so you know middleton and and uh uh and you know kind of the rest of the regulars haven't needed to play as much um but yeah pat is leading the team in minutes per game right now at 29 and a half through the first two games um i, I mean the the upside is you you know you could i mean again i, I think if the, these were, were more competitive he'd probably be in like you know maybe the 25 minute range or something like that um but you could potentially, I mean, again, maybe Bud splits some of those minutes, you know, basically takes some of the minutes that Sterling, Sterling's at 25 and a half right now. You know, could you split off some of those minutes and try to get Tony some run? Um, you could, uh, but again, in the playoffs, like how much of a chance do you want to take doing that? Um, especially if you've got two guys in rhythm, um, no questions about their physical readiness. Again, Tony coming off an ankle injury, um, you know, it's hard, right? That's, that's a hard thing to, to just kind of come back from and immediately be back to your best. So yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, again, if they get some, some blowout games, um, that's why, I mean, that's why like it would be great to get Tony back at the end of this series. If like, you know, if there's a game five, you know, game four, uh, if you could get him some minutes in this series and not have to, you know, wait until Boston to get him back. But you know, again, it doesn't seem like anything's really imminent there. So um, I know you tweeted some uh, some pictures. There was some video of uh, of him shooting threes at uh, at practice the other day. But but obviously, um, you know, it doesn't seem like he's he's imminently returning. And um, you know, the good news that is that Pat and, and Sterling have played really well in his absence. Um, the bad news is 
well for him, Pat and Strong have played really well in his absence. All right. Uh, I have a question from CJ Robinson, longtime pod listener and uh, question asker, I suppose. Uh, CJ asks, will the Bucks' dominance of the Pistons silence the critics who argue they're unproven slash they've never won in the playoffs or must they win the East to earn respect? Question mark. And I guess, so th- I've I've been thinking about like, you know, uh, this joke is is just kind of sitting there for, for anyone on Twitter, but, you know, it's just like, okay, so does anyone want to change their predictions now that the Bucks have proven that they've they can win in the playoffs, right? Like, because that that was the question mark, right? Like, this team's never won a playoff series, so how can I pick them to make a deep run? Well, okay, they beat the Pistons now. Do you feel do you feel any better? Like, I, I think I think all of those all of those questions are going to stay. Like, there to me, there's just no way that um, beating up on the Pistons is going to mean anything to the people that. I question whether or not this team was was really the class of the NBA. So um, I, I don't see any of that changing. I think the only way that you know any critics of this team really change their opinions, change their minds, uh, anything like that is is if the Bucks make a deep run. And I mean, I think that would be Eastern Conference Finals, if not the NBA Finals. I, I think it's an important milestone, you know, just because, especially for the franchise, given how long it's been since they did make uh, a, a second round. Um, yeah. So it's important, but I also agree. I mean, the bar, you know, it, coming into this season, a second round exit would have been, I still don't think it would have been a, like a satisfying thing. It was kind of like, let, let's at least do that, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. if you win, if, you know, the Bucks win like 51 or 52 games, which I think was more in line with certainly sort of like our expectation of like a normal outcome for this season. Um, you know, if you win a first round series and then lose in the second round, for instance, not the end of the world, right? You at least broke that, that first round jinx that, that seemingly been hanging over the franchise for two years. It's something to build on. At least you can't be accused of never having won a playoff series, which, you know, follows around a lot of players um, like yep. like a Giannis who are, who are you know trying to get into that elite company, and obviously Giannis is there now. Um, so I, I, I'm very excited to cross that kind of off the the list of of things that Giannis needs to accomplish that this team needs to accomplish. But I agree. I mean, at this point, um, nobody's going to be happy with a sec with a, a second round out. Um, Yes, it's better than a, than a first round out, um, but I don't think I think people who are cynical about the Bucks and you know whether they're for real or not, yeah, losing in the second round is is not going to kind of answer the, the the bigger questions. But that's good, right? The you know you you want to get out from the shadow of you know the tyranny of low expectations, right? Which is something that has followed this franchise around forever, uh, and so now the, the bar is raised and I think that's a very good thing in the, in the grand scheme of things. So, um, you know, in, again, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but, um, whenever that first round series win happens, uh, in the next week or so, um, I think it will be something we can all be very happy about, but then immediately you kind of shift into, okay, now let's get, uh, anxious and tormented about, uh, winning another <laughs> round. Cause you know, this team's too good to just, just be satisfied there. We're going to move into some emails now. Zach emails the podcast and asks, have you seen anything in the first few days of the playoffs that has changed your perspective on the other East contenders? Thanks for doing what you do. And I got to say, Zach, there's been a huge change because, you know, if you listen to Kyrie Irving after that game, 
the Celtics have fixed their chemistry problems. And, you know, like, sure, we've, we've, we've seen some false starts. You know, there was that road trip, you know, that plane ride to LA that saved the season. And, you know, that didn't work out. And, you know, there was that other big win that they had that, you know, saved the season. And that didn't work out either. Um, but this surely is the end of any chemistry problems in Boston. Like this, this is the thing that is going to fix their season. It's Kyrie Irving in a press conference after saying how much he means to, to him to be in Boston in the magic of the garden. Um, you know, this to me says the Boston Celtics are for sure going to the NBA finals. So for me, that, that would be the biggest change. And actually on top of that, you know, we just saw the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, and the effing baby, Ben Simmons, dunk all over a bunch of people. Um, I'm convinced that the Sixers are also going to the NBA Finals. So um, it's going to be really tough because both of those teams have absolutely 100% fixed all of their problems and are going to be 100% right. There's at least three teams from the Eastern Conference going to the NBA Finals this year. It's going to be weird. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean... I think it's kind of to be continued. Um, you know, the, 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 I mean, I don't know the Pacers. I mean, the Pacers aren't going to like give anything away um, except the last minute of the last game, apparently. And um, every offensive was, possession. Was, like, yeah, that was just, that was just rough to watch. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at kind of like Boston, I was I'm just looking at like their, their player stats. I mean, Hayward really hasn't gotten off. I think that's sort of, certainly an X factor for them. And again, like, you know, all right just because it didn't happen here in the first two games doesn't mean it won't happen. But um, Horford and Hayward have really not made an impact offensively, at least. They've been pretty pretty well contained. Jalen Brown has eight points in two games. Tatum played really well in the second game. Kyrie played really well in the second game. But, you know, they didn't do nearly as much in that first game, which was much more of a rock fight. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Boston's, I think, still kind of like, which Boston team do you get? Um I think again, though it's they're the team. I, I just worry, um, man. And this this is again where it kind of, kind of like that home court thing is almost the curse, right? Because it's like you're you're immediately the pressure's on to win those game ones. Um, so I mean, the, the the Celtics are especially a team that I would really want to just like lay the wood to in game one to like not give them any confidence or any sense of momentum just because they've been such a Jekyll and Hyde team all year. Yeah. Um, that you just you still can kind of worry that like well maybe they just go on a bit of a run and again i don't like think they're winning the finals or something like that in any scenario but um you know absolutely over like a two-week period could they play well and beat any other team in the east four out of seven times like it's possible you know yep. um i mean the buck the bucks have won every series against east teams which is a pretty remarkable stat for them they have not lost twice to any team in the east this year um so hopefully hopefully that continues for the next month um but, uh, but yeah, Boston's interesting. I think Philly, you know, Joel Embiid doesn't play tonight, but they get um, a big win. Ben Simmons stepped up. Um, Philly's still a weird team, you know, just because they, they do seem fragile and the health of Embiid is such a tenuous thing right now. So, I mean, really, that's probably the big story for me, um, you know, because if Embiid is, is really limited, especially if he's going to have to guard Giannis, you know, 40 minutes a night. Yep. I mean, that's just, that's just asking a lot of that guy, um, as great as he is. Um, and as you mentioned, I mean, Simmons has been just weirdly, well, not weirdly, because 
you know, Giannis and Lopez are so good at getting back and just denying him the ability to do the kind of stuff that, that, you know, differentiates him. Um, so yeah, I mean, Philly, I think is still kind of not out of the woods, even though it does look like they now have the edge in this first round series against the, the Nets. Um, and then Toronto, I don't know. I wouldn't really take too much from them losing that first game. They ran into the DJ Augustine buzzsaw. They yes. came back in the second game and, and played much better. So, I mean, I think Toronto's still, you know, Toronto's still good, but same token, like Kyle Lowry being super up and down from game one to game two. Good reminder that, you know, he can't necessarily be trusted and we've seen him really struggle against the Bucks. So, um, so that I think is interesting to watch. So yeah, I, I don't think anything's really, really changed. And, uh, you know, again, like the Bucks kind of have done, like, there's not really much more you could expect from the Bucks in these first couple of games, right? They're, they're not playing a good team. And, but they've destroyed them, so it's like, all right, you know, what do you want to, what do you want us to do with this? So, um, so yeah, I think still things largely running to form, um, and really probably the biggest question is Philly's health is probably my my biggest question with Embiid. Yeah, I mean, I think that would probably probably be the only change is you know just like Embiid now being a question mark for health. Like yeah. he's always kind of a question mark, but a more serious question mark, I suppose. Um, but I think everything else kind of remains the same there, and. Something else that is remaining the same is our promo code at WISE. You can use the promo code WYZE.com slash locked. Again, that's WYZE.com slash locked to get the guaranteed lowest price on WISE cameras. WISE is the indoor camera that does it all. WISE is packed with premium features that allows you to see everything from anywhere for only $20. 1080p, full HD, images so clear you won't miss a thing, night vision, and two-way audio. Their mission is to bring amazing smart home products and make them accessible to everyone. Check on your home anytime with Wise Apps live stream. Connect with life as it unfolds in sharp focus. Live stream with eight times digital zoom. And as we've talked about many times now at this point, the free rolling 14-day cloud storage is absolutely huge. When you have that much camera footage, you know, storing it and having a spot for it is you know just always going to be a problem those are big files uh so that free rolling 14-day cloud storage is huge and there's no subscriptions at wise want even more they got that too for just ten dollars more wise campaign gives you 360 degree coverage in under three seconds life moves fast your camera should too Patrol your room with pan scan. Set the camera's patrol route with up to four custom waypoints. Track the action. Wise cam pan automatically detects tags and tracks motion within its field of view. Keeping up with life in real time has never been so easy. It works with Alexa. And of course, don't forget the free rolling 14-day cloud storage. Go to wise.com slash locked to get the guaranteed lowest price. And remember to get this show every day. Subscribe to Lockdown Bucks on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlist and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Bucks. Let's keep it rolling in the mailbag. We need to go to some more emails. Uh, Adam asks, so after Giannis inevitably retires from basketball after winning three titles over the next three years, which sport does he pick up and which team does he play for before coming back to the Bucks for a second three-peat? Um, it's got to be soccer, right? 
so I think the only sport we've seen Giannis have an, have an open affinity for has been soccer. We saw him juggling a ball uh, during warmups the other day. We saw him as a rookie famously shot that uh, uh, at a wave game, put a ball through like a tiny little slot from, from the center of, uh, of the field uh, in an indoor soccer during an indoor soccer, uh, like, you know, halftime or whatever that was. Um, so, so that's, that's probably the, the obvious sport. Um, and I have to give a shout out. So, Adam, Adam Tuning, a.k.a. Chew Dog, a.k.a. Chewy, a.k.a. Chewpac, uh, one of my oldest friends uh, from middle school and high school. So shout out to Adam, Lockdown Bucks listener. Adam just randomly like pops up on Twitter and DMs me or whatever. I'm just like, oh, Chewy, <laughs> my guy. Uh, so Chewy popping up in the mailbag. Shout out to Chewy. Um, by the way, Chewy was the first first person who's uh, who first basketball player whose stats I cared about. Uh, Chewy was uh, the, the center on our, our middle school basketball team. Uh, big shot blocker, uh, real real rim runner uh, type of wow. guy. Yeah, prototypical big big man rim runner. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think um, here's the thing though. I I think uh, like let's be honest, not a lot of six eleven soccer players. Peter Crouch, I think, was six seven. Um, I, I'd mm-hmm. say that the the, <laughs> the, the uh, history says that that a man of Giannis's height probably not going to be good at soccer. Maybe he could be a good goalie, a, uh, like a, a, an Akeem Olajuwon. You know, Akeem was a famously a, a soccer goalie before he became an, uh, a great basketball player. And Akeem, Nigerian, Giannis of Nigerian descent. So maybe there's a little, a little something there. Um, but I think the I think the sport that Giannis could just pick up and be completely dominant at, which also at least makes a little bit of sense because it's much more popular in Europe than in the U.S., handball. Can you imagine? Oh my god! I'm so happy you brought up handball. handball. You couldn't. It'd be impossible. Oh my god! The long strides and the size and length. Greece is winning all of the handball gold medals with Giannis, and which which would be a big thing for them because they last qualified for the Olympics in handball in 2004. They finished sixth. Wow! Um, I had to look that up. I I did not know that off the top of my head. Um, But yeah, so I am I am all in on Giannis. you know, instead of going to the Birmingham Barons of Double A baseball, uh, a la Michael Jordan, uh, I think I think a, a detour with the uh, Greek national handball team, leading them to maybe an Olympic gold medal uh, in you know, I guess it'd be what twenty twenty four. Well, he'll have to wait till twenty twenty four to do that. So get his his multiple NBA titles in Milwaukee, <laughs> go play in the twenty twenty four Olympics. He won't even have to take off uh, an NBA season. You know, just show no, that's up. That's great. Yeah. I mean, are you telling me he wouldn't be the best Greek handball player just by like three weeks of practice? Come on. No, he um, would very easily. And this is obviously a theory that we've been over many times before. You know my affinity for handball. I am very much convinced that America should spend more time converting Division One basketball players into handball players and winning gold medals. I, I just believe it would work. Uh, I, I'm sure there's probably some people that love handball out there that would think that's very offensive for me to say. But I'm sorry. That's just what I I believe. I think Pat Connaughton would be a fantastic handball player. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Connaughton the baseball, like he's so good. Oh my God. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. He'd be incredible. So uh, just want to keep that in mind as well. All right. Let's keep it moving. Eric Sierra asks us in the mailbag. Loved when Eric gave his reviews of NBA Road Arenas early on in the season. Yeah, we fell off on that. I'm sorry. Uh, which Road Arena would you suggest traveling to next season to watch the Bucks? with the only criteria being best in-arena fan experience? Separately, which city had the best NBA Road Eats? Um, best in-arena fan experience. 
I think there's something special about being in Madison Square Garden. Like it, there's just a, you know a, a bunch of history there, so I, I I'll just get that out of the way to start. So you know, keep that in mind. But I w- I thought the two places that I that were actually I'll I'll say three. There were three places where it was just like okay, like these people really enjoy basketball. Um, I skipped the Utah back to back. So I was not in Utah. I've heard that's crazy. Um, so that's not part of my three, but Toronto was really fun. The air Canada center, whatever they call it now, Scotia bank arena. I think maybe it is, uh, that place is loud. The uh, yeah, th- everyone knows head over to the Scotch. Uh, that, that, pl- that place is legitimately crazy. Like that is like really fun. Like all the Jurassic park stuff, like I, I think that is is really fun. Uh, you know, there's also an off chance that you see Drake. I don't know if that'd be something you'd be excited about, but it could also, you know, actually be something. Uh, Oklahoma City, that arena is to me just it felt collegey. Like it's not it's not as big as Toronto's arena, but like those people really love basketball, and that that was really fun. And then uh, the Rose Garden in Portland. I thought sight lines are great. It's very clearly a basketball arena and it's, it's another place that has like, you know, those higher attendance numbers. Those three to me stand out as best in arena fan experience. And then the only other thing I would possibly say is I don't know if I've been happier walking into arena than I was in Phoenix. And it was because it was really warm outside (laughs) And I was just like in a good mood because it wasn't uh, terrible in the middle of a a winter where you so often are in cold places. So uh, that, that would be what I'd say there. And then which city had the best NBA road eats? I think it's between two for me. It's Portland and Toronto. Uh, I, I will say I am really hopeful that it is the Toronto Raptors that get to the Eastern conference finals and the Bucks also get to the Eastern Conference Finals because I would absolutely love to get to spend some more time in Toronto and try to eat my way through Toronto because it, there's so many cultures, there's so much good food. Uh, I'd be very into that. So that would be the the two for the best NBA road eats. Um, all right, let's. I'm trying to think who has this one. Uh, Cody, I think this is his question. Um, unique question. How do you physically record this podcast? Over the phone, I assume? Question mark. If so, how do you know when the other person is about to be done talking? I was kind of wondering about that. Thanks so much for every podcast. You guys take time to record. If you're getting paid, I doubt it's much. So next time I run into you at Broken Bat or Fiserv, let me buy you a beer. Uh, I'd, Frank will not be drinking that beer, so feel free to buy them for me. Uh, that's That's totally fine. Um, we record it's not, it's, not a, pers- it's not personal, Cody. I just don't really like beer. So yeah, just <laughs> buy Eric all the beer. Uh, Frank has said he does not like you, Cody, and he will not be drinking a beer. Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, so how we record it is we've recorded it different ways throughout this process. Um, typically it's through different programs that will record it. Um, we've done it through Skype before. Um, right now we use a program called Zencaster. Uh, which records the audio locally for each of us. So 
my microphone records mine and then uh, Frank's microphone records his and then we get those files and we're able to put it together. And as far as, you know, how do you know when the other person is about to be done talking? Um, we don't ever know that um, <laughs> because we don't want to screw up bandwidth. Like we don't do any like video chats with it. Like we, we're just trying to preserve the audio and make that as good as possible. So uh, there's plenty of times where there's just like silence and there's plenty of times where we just jump over the top of the other person's voice and, and start talking. And uh, in any of those situations, typically I, at the end of the day, will edit the audio to either, you know, make it sound like Frank didn't jump all over me and I didn't jump all over Frank, or there wasn't five seconds of uh, in between. So uh, the wonders of editing help clean all that up a little bit. Yeah. And um, I, I, even, I guess, today, I, so when I record by myself, I don't, I sometimes I don't even use, um, use the, the computer. So we edit these in audacity, um, which is a free program uh, works pretty well. You can record if you're just doing it by yourself using that. But I actually, when I had to record uh, the podcast this week by myself, I just used my iPhone and just literally recorded a voice memo. Although yesterday I used my AirPods and it just sounded way worse than if I just used just the regular, you know, speaker thing. So, um, so I think that's a little, a little peek uh, behind the curtain. I will say this: um, when we used to do Skype, um, oh. I mean, basically we we did we did Skype for a long time. That was frustrating because our calls would drop. And probably the worst though was that. You know, I, I for a long time I used like a proper mic, but it really didn't matter because you were recording from your side, yeah. and then I sounded like somebody who was calling in from a Skype line. So the quality for me was never great, even though I had a pretty good microphone. Now because we're each recording like locally from our own side, I'm I'm like using only like a like a Jabra headset most of the time because I'm traveling yeah. a lot. Literally just like the free thing I got from work, so like very cheap. But it sounds way better than it used to when I had a yep. much better microphone and I was recording over Skype. So um, anyway, that's the the inside podcasting um, segment of this show. Um, I um, yeah, I guess maybe that's interesting to, to some people. So that's a look inside of, of how we do this, which is important because we're pretty much never in the same place when we record. No, pretty much never. Um, wow, this is a long email. Um you want me to summarize it? I think I, I think I understand it. Go for it. Okay. So um, Nathan uh, wrote to us asking about uh, what could have been almost dynasties, basically. So um, I'll read this thing. So not to be salty about the past, especially when the season is as good as it's been. However, I've noticed that the Bucks have to have one of the most frustrating near dynasty histories in the NBA, meaning they are one or two possible moves away from having an unbelievable amount of talent. However, which of these three scenarios would have yielded the best results? You can only pick one. And is it like, and it likely would have affected everything afterwards, including draft picks, season finishes, et cetera. So first off, I'm glad he pointed out that, um, you know, like you can't just say, oh, if we'd gotten this great player this year, then, you know, you could have added it to the guy we would have drafted in the top five the next year, right? Because everything changes once you kind of, you know, change the timeline, right? If, if we've watched enough uh, time travel TV shows, right? Um, so the three options he laid out was um, the Bucks when they had, technically had the rights to Julius Irving, um, in 1972, then he goes to the ABA. I don't recall the exact. You, you're a much better historian than I, given you wrote a goddamn book about the Bucks history. Um, but basically, the idea of like pairing Julius with um, like the latter stages of Kareem's career in Milwaukee, um, and also interestingly, potentially uh, preventing the Sixers from building their own kind of great team that 
that uh, obviously was a rival of the Bucks in the the early eighties. Um, so, Terry- in that uh, quick quick synopsis, uh, Wayne Embry goes to a basketball camp in upstate New York. Is a counselor there? They ask him to play a high schooler, and he says, "No, that that seems like a bad idea. Like I'm a pretty big dude, and if you've ever seen Wayne Embry, huge man." Um, that kid ends up being Julius Irving. Uh, Julius Irving plays him. Uh, he says, eh, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm not going to take it too hard on this kid. The kid says, you know, you, you can play, you can play me pretty hard. And he was like, no, you know, you're just a kid. I don't want to hurt you. Uh, and Dr. J beats him in the, in the first game. Uh, so then Wayne Emery's a little bit pissed off, plays him a little bit harder in the second game, still loses in the second game, loses in the third game. And, eventually uh, gets the chance. I believe it's three years later to draft Julius Irving does. So gets tied up bucks have the rights to him. The Hawks have the rights to him in the NBA in the ABA. Uh, then I think it was the Squires originally had the uh, rights to him. Then the Nets have the rights to him and it just goes round and round and round and round. And eventually obviously Julius Irving does not go to the Bucks. So that's option one uh, option two. Um, Alex English, who, if you want to talk about players, uh, great NBA players who were not great Bucks, uh, Alex English might be um, the best example of that. One of the, one of the best examples of that. Eight-time NBA All-Star, uh, played his first two seasons in Milwaukee and did pretty much nothing after being a second-round pick. Um, so the the scenario that that Nathan teased out there uh, was, you know, basically if the Bucks don't trade Alex English, and then instead of taking Kent Benson first overall in '77, what if they draft Jack Sigma? Um, instead, um, so then you get basically Marcus Sigma English, um, and he said the possibility they still draft Sydney in '79 because it was, uh, I think, the pick was acquired with the trade. Um, okay, that's another option. Uh, and then scenario three: Bucks do not trade Dirk Nowitzki and instead get to have him along with Ray Allen for a good part of the early 2000s. Added bonus: Robin said him drafting Big Dog '94. They said draft Grant Hill. This is the most theoretical of three is by drafting Grant Hill in 94. It's like they don't have the same picks that would have garnered them, Allen and Dirk. Um, but this is all hypothetical, so who cares? Um, but so, also it might have because Grant Hill was hurt a lot. So maybe yeah. you do still get a chance yeah. to... And first off, we should say too, like, I, I mean, people have heard probably heard variants of this story, but like the Dirk scenario has always been pretty kind of like a fallacy because so the, the, the Mavs had the sixth pick in that draft and they if if they could not have traded down and still gotten Dirk, they just would have taken Dirk. That's always been the story. Um, it's pretty much the exact same thing. I believe that happened with Moncrief as well, um, where basically Don Nelson conned another team into giving him something to trade back yeah. and, and get the player that he wanted any get that he wanted anyway. Uh, I think Marcus always tells a story about how Don Nelson conned the Pistons into thinking that that Nelly wanted Greg Kelser. And he was able, I believe, trade back uh, in the Moncrief draft, I think, and then still get Sydney, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- anyway, this um, the, the, the similar scenario there. I, I, I would kind of twist this a little bit. I think Pierce went tenth in that draft, so I would kind of change it up and say, because I, I, again, I don't think the Bucks really were ever going to get Dirk Nowitzki, and it, it's a bit of a, I don't know. I mean, I understand right because the Bucks technically did pick him with the ninth pick, but. You know, if they say no, we want Dirk, then the Mavs just take Dirk at six, and the Bucks have the ninth pick, right? Um, so I think the better what if is probably if they had drafted Paul Pierce at, at that spot because Pierce would have been available uh, since he went tenth. So um, 
that probably would have been weird on some level, just because then you would have had Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and and Big Dog, which would have been kind of an embarrassment of riches, given that Big Dog was really more of a a three back in the day, even though you know nowadays he, he would have been a four. Um, so I, I don't know. That's that's certainly an interesting uh, an interesting hypothetical there. Or yeah, I mean, if they grant draft Grant Hill, who knows, right? Does Grant Hill stay healthy? Um, or or what if they draft Jason Kidd? Wouldn't that be a, a hilarious um, what if? Uh, I don't know. If I had to pick any of these, um, I'd probably pick just the, the the Dr. J one just because, I mean, the Kareem teams were, you know, championship contenders. Like, they, you know, barely fell short. Um, which, which season was it? Was it 70? And now I need to check my math. 74, Four. yeah. So, you know, again, like, does, you know, if you could have gotten Dr. J to, to not go to the ABA, like, does does that change the arc of that team? Does, you know, Kareem maybe not leave? I, I don't know, right? So, I don't know. That's probably the most interesting one to me that, that maybe has the biggest impact on the Bucks' number of total titles. Um, but uh, certainly interesting to, to kind of debate all these. And also, I would say this, too. Anything, like, I wouldn't pick Scenario 3 just because as, as painful as the last 20 years have been. All of that ultimately led to where we are today, and I'm totally good with where we are today. I don't need to don't don't give me your your butterfly effect screwing up the Bucks having Giannis and being where they are today. I'm I'm happy. So let's go back way to the distant past if we're going to change anything. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that one. And uh, interestingly enough, in the conversation I had with Wayne Embry that I did at The Athletic earlier this year, 40% off in the playoffs. If, you, if you're looking for the promo code, uh, you can use that and subscribe to The Athletic and read that conversation. But uh, one of the things Embry said was that, you know, Dr. J's agent was actually kind of concerned about uh, him not having his own team. But man, I really do think if you get him in Milwaukee and you have, man, you have the big O, you have a young Dr. J, you have uh, Bobby D, and you got Cream in the middle, like that team is not losing. And, you know, they might, they might go 71, 72, 73, 74, 75, like they might have one of those runs where it's like multiple finals appearances, multiple finals wins. Like that, that could have been a really special team. It allows the big O to age much more gracefully. Uh, You know, maybe even get an extra year out of him because you have Dr. J and you have Bobby D able to take, you know, some of the athleticism and, you know, some of the, the toll off of, uh, Oscar Robertson's legs. You have your next star in Dr. J. You know, like you mentioned, you maybe get to creep uh, cream a little bit longer. So uh, to me, that would be the one. Uh, that would that would be the one that I would say. Um, all right, next email from Rafe in uh, let's see, Rafe in Pasig City in the Philippines. Uh, First of all, I would like to commend you guys for a thoroughly entertaining podcast. I'm Ray from Pasig City in the Philippines. Been a Giannis fan for almost four years now and a fan of your show since last year. No questions, just wanted to get your thoughts on Nike missing the golden chance to launch Giannis' signature shoe last game one when he took off from the free throw line at Fiserv Forum. 
I'm not an expert, uh, not an expert on shoe production or marketing. I just know that I've been holding on and getting a new pair until Giannis's pair comes out. And I feel that I lost the opportunity to rock some free throw flying kicks just because Nike was taking its time. Maybe Zion's mishap had something to do with it, but screw that. I'm buying that pair anyways, but man, a potentially iconic image just slipped through their hands. Thanks for your time. Wish you and the bucks, nothing but the best. God bless you all Rafe. And this, so this is something I actually find quite interesting. Um, obviously there was the, I think it was like an investor's call or, or something where, uh, a Nike exec mentioned that the, the Giannis shoes were going to come out during the playoffs. And I, I'm really curious to see if that actually happens or if they wait until after the playoffs, because Giannis is, um, obsessive in many ways and very much a creature of habit. And I got to say, I cannot imagine him in the middle of the playoffs changing shoes. I cannot imagine him putting on his signature shoes during the playoffs when he's worn his his Kobe, I don't even know what they are, Kobe ADs um, or whatever they're called uh, for the last couple of years. Like he very much has a pair of shoes that he likes, that he wears, um, that it feels weird to me that he would do that in the middle of a series. And, you know, I've heard some people say, well, you know, he doesn't have to wear them necessarily. Like, you know, he could just have them released, but it's like, okay, so your signature shoe, you're not going to wear. Doesn't that say something about your signature shoe? So um, I'm going to, I'm really interested to see kind of what happens on all of it. Cause uh, obviously we've heard, uh, that that that's going to happen during the playoffs, but man, I just I can't imagine Giannis being cool with that, and it just feels like a, a distraction to Giannis, like releasing shoes during that time. Like I just I I don't I don't think I get it. So I, I'm thinking that it's not going to be during the playoffs, but that that's just me. Uh, I am not like a, a sneakerhead, so I, I can't really speak to to a whole lot of this stuff within with much intelligence. But um, you know, as you mentioned, it's I think Giannis has been wearing pretty much the same. The same shoes, if not the same color shoes, but the same style of shoes all season. Um, you know, Jabari Parker, I think, like changes like the style of shoes like every game. Almost it seemed like he actually wore lots of different kinds of of Jordans. It, it seemed like and, and Nikes. Um, but Giannis, obviously, as you mentioned, maybe a bit more, um, perhaps a bit more. I don't want to say superstitious, but you know, just it's been working. So so don't go away for it from it. Mm-hmm. Also, he's also been turning his ankle a lot in those shoes. So that might be one reason to go away from it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. Cause I mean, if you're Nike, I mean, what better time to like make a splash with these shoes than during kind of like what you're hoping is sort of the breakout playoff performance for the inevitable league MVP. Right. Um, Giannis is, is, you know, having a moment. And again, if they get crushed in the second round, then that moment will ultimately be short lived. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with Rafe. Like it's a great, um, it's certainly a great time to, to, you know, if they could do this to, to get them out there. Um, and, and yeah, I have no idea into what, what the deals with the production process of these things. I, I find it kind of shocking how long it takes to develop shoes. You know, like, I think it's like a year and a half process typically for them to like, go from kind of scratch to, to actually having shoes, um, that are, you know, being released, um, which kind of surprises me on some level. Um, but, uh, you know, um, I guess we'll see, um, certainly as part of Giannis's kind of, um, 
stardom kind of hitting that that uber elite level now it would make sense for it to happen soon but um as you said Giannis might not want that um it's kind of funny but one thing i was thinking about is when you were discussing um you know one thing that uh, i'm not sure if you've, you've ever read about this but one thing that happens with tennis players is you know tennis players kind of similarly like oftentimes don't want to change their rackets you know like they'll you know, like there's stories of guys who like bought up like hmm. 500 rackets of a certain type, and then even after they stop making them, they've just got like a bunch in a warehouse somewhere because they they you know they don't want to change rackets. Um, but some of them, obviously, I mean, obviously, most of these they they have endorsement deals with with racket makers. So some of them, what they do is I think they're called stencils, where they basically like repaint um, or or basically make old rackets look like the new the the brand new model because the player wants to keep playing with the old racket, but the mark you know they want to market it hmm. as the new product to, to people who are potentially buying rackets i don't know if you could do that with shoes i imagine Giannis's shoes are going to be kind of similarly like kind of low you know low low top type shoes like the kobe's are that he wears now i mean i would be surprised if he kind of went to a different profile um so but wouldn't sure. that be funny if they like basically gave him some uh Giannis shoes that that really were just Kobe's in uh in Giannis clothing or something like that I don't think that's really a practical thing to do um but as you were kind of discussing like I was trying to think like is there some way that they could have him wearing his new shoes but (laughs) they're not really his new shoes probably not um but anyway yeah will be fun to see when those drop and um it will be a, a cool thing for for Giannis, uh, you know, entering that that rarefied era of guys having their own signature shoe. He'll he'll finally join the ranks of Matthew Dalvadova in that regard. <laughs> um, all right, two quick ones here to finish us out. We are past the hour point, which should not be a surprise to anyone who's ever listened to one of these. Mark emails in and asks, "What are some specific things we should be looking for from the Celtics in their first round series?" And this is one. Uh, go find the the video or the gif of Kyrie Irving cooking Thad Young. Um, and I shouldn't even say cooking him. Thad Young defended it very well, and Kyrie still hit that shot. That is what you should be thinking about, or at least to me. like That is kind of, obviously, there's some structural things, some tactical things that you know make the Celtics difficult. But in the end, to me, that is one of the things that is most fear, fearsome about them is that you know they have they have Kyrie that, that can kind of do that. And there's not really a lot of guys that can score one-on-one like Kyrie Irving. So that's one thing. Um, and then I think the second thing is something you mentioned earlier when we were talking about the Celtics is, uh, you know, kind of the others like Gordon Hayward, uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. What do those guys look like? Because I, I think, you know, obviously we've spent a lot of time talking about Kyrie Irving and Al Horford, but you know, you know, maybe it is those other three guys that if if one of them gets going, maybe they are the ones that that swing this a little bit more. Yeah, I think health wise, probably Horford's the only guy that you kind of look at just because he's had some kind of knee issues that have bothered him for much of the year, and, and again, he's missed some time. But I mean, nobody's like it's not like with Embiid where it's like he's in. It doesn't seem like he's in danger of you know missing games in the playoffs. But um, I think I remember hearing some stats about. You know he was dramatically better um, when he had rest days and, and wasn't wasn't playing on back to backs. Um, so that's some something that certainly benefits him in the playoffs. Again, hasn't really kind of had any big big games offensively so far uh, against the Pacers. Um, but certainly, you know Horford and and his general health and you know how much 
um, energy and uh, and kind of spryness he's bringing is, is going to be important given he's such a pivotal figure against a team like the Bucks. And then, yeah, I mean, certainly Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie's going to be really good, I think, regardless. You know, I think, I don't know, I'm not, I, don't, I mean, like you said, he's he's going to be good and he makes shots that are going to be hard and you just hope that he doesn't have a whole series of, of just incredible shot making. Um, he'll certainly have some games where he, where he does that. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, I think Hayward and Brown might be the two best examples, guys that this season have swung wildly from, you know, anonymous, invisible, negative players to really, really good players. Um, and Hayward's had some, you know, definitely some some strong moments and some strong play um, over the past month. But certainly in the first couple of games, we haven't seen that necessarily. And obviously with him coming back from that big injury, you know, I'm very curious. I mean, he, he's a guy who could certainly be a lot better. Would certainly be a lot better next year. You know, after a year, full year to recover from uh, from that that ugly uh, leg injury. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, those guys are certainly going to be interesting to watch. Terry Rozier, another guy who obviously really hurt the Bucks a year ago, um, but had has had a very mixed bag season. Uh, you know, with with Kyrie back, um, certainly all those guys are are very interesting to watch. Um, and obviously, the one the one guy we won't see is is Marcus Smart, who you know is apparently going to be out um, at least the first two rounds. Um, he's a guy that obviously, uh, if you're the Bucks, you're you're not missing because um, he he's just a pain in the ass <laughs> and uh, and just a guy that that uh, you know nobody likes to play against. And you know he's had some some much better moments shooting the ball this year as well, which obviously has historically been his one weakness. So. Um, so yeah, I think just, you know, that's some of the individual stuff to look out for. And just in general, like, you know, I mean, if they come out and go to Indiana and just crush them two straight games, obviously if them coming into a series against the Bucks with a lot of confidence and everybody saying nice things, I mean, that's certainly something that they've been trying to get to all year and we joked about it. But, um, you know, it'd be nice if they have some struggles just because they've been a team that has kind of always fallen back into that inconsistency. Um, but I wouldn't put it past them to, you know, figure some stuff out, right? They're, they're certainly talented. Um, I think people overstated how talented they were, um, but um, you know, it's anything can happen, right? Bucks get a pick up another injury, or the Celtics, you know, just get hot for a few games. Stuff can turn pretty quickly. Joe sends us our final question as an email after the last Sixers Bucks game. I noticed that Philly seemed to set better screens, where the defender would just get swallowed and stopped than the Bucks. Has this been a season-long thing, or just how the Bucks play defense slash offense? Love the show. Thanks. Um, I'm going to say I did not notice that. Um, but as I think through just kind of that possibility and just that greater idea, I think I think with, with J.J. Redick, you have the possibility of more of those situations because – of the way that, you know, he leverages his shooting and how quickly he kind of whips around screens. I just think there's, you know, a chance that you're going to, you're going to smack into one of those better, right? Like if you are trying to swing around a, a JJ, like a screen for JJ really quickly, you know, there's a chance that you go flying or there's a chance that you take a shot. Um, or, you know, if you're sprinting around the baseline and, you know, all of a sudden he changes directions, goes the other way and you start chasing again, you know, maybe there's another spot to get hit there. Um, so I will say that's not something that, you know, I've really observed uh, or noticed, but I'm not going to say that it, it doesn't happen. Uh, that would just be my best explanation for why that might've occurred. Yeah. I mean, the Sixers run very little pick and roll relative 
relatively speaking, and a lot of that just because Ben Simmons, you know, doesn't really have it isn't a threat as a shot uh, as a shooter. Um, but uh, as you said, you know, Reddick probably runs around and off screens as much as probably anybody. Um, so mm-hmm. I, that that might be part of it. You know, just that his threat is so important. I mean, we saw that tonight. I mean, Ben Simmons like faked the handoff, like really barely faked the handoff and the entire Nets defense just completely fell apart. And Simmons walked in for a dunk tonight. Just a great example of like, you know, we talk about screen assists, like, you know, the gravity of a shooter creating a, a, a dunk for somebody who has the ball. I mean, it's kind of a different mm. thing, obviously, but um, Reddick probably does that as much as, as anybody, um, you know, it's hard to look at numbers for this, but I, I was just looking at screen assists, which is basically, you know, screens that directly lead to to made baskets. Uh, Sixers were top 10. They had 10.1 of those per game. Uh, Blazers led the league at 11.2. Um, Bucks were second to last in that category, 6.9. Rockets were the least with 6.8. Um, so it just sort of speaks to, I think, just stylistically, like how these teams operate. Obviously, the Bucks with Giannis, you know, occasionally use some screens you know the kind of inverted screens to get him looks but you know their leading scorer pretty much doesn't use screens um even though Giannis was great as a as a pick and roll guy when he did have chances this year I think he was one of the best in the league in that regard at least he was um at one point when I saw those numbers so um I think again it's a lot of it's just like personnel right like you know that, that that's not something they necessarily look for and um you know I think Giannis and Brooke I mean they're not like just completely slipping screens when they set screens um, you know, they do try to get some contact, but they're, you know, when Giannis at the screen, he's not trying to just like wipe out the other guy and, you know, take himself out of a play. Like he's trying to, you know, slow the guy down just, just enough that it gives Bledsoe or Middleton, you know, a crease ability to create an angle and then Giannis can roll. So it's also a little bit on like, what are you trying to do? Right. And the Bucks, their, their screeners are generally guys who want, you want to get the ball back to. So I think that affects sort of the you know the quote unquote quality of the screen or how hard uh, the screen is set. So I don't know. That's just a couple of um, couple thoughts on on why maybe uh, you know you, you pick up on that. And again, I I, I have to say I not necessarily something I really th- have thought a whole lot about. Um, but as you said, I mean certainly you know easy to look at Raddick and, and his ability to, to run off screens. It's obviously uh, a very important thing for, for them as a team. Um, synergy plays t- play types. So off screen, sh- uh, off screen plays, these are shots or turnovers um, or, or uh, trips to the foul line driven by different types of play types um, off screen, the bucks 4.8% of plays. That's actually middle of the pack. It's just really not a very common um, way to create shots. Sixers actually had fewer shots even than that. 4.6% of their uh, offensive play plays uh, are the result of uh, plays off screen. So I don't know. Go figure. Neither of these teams are, are huge pick and roll teams. So I think we just dissected that about as well as we could. Well, we did it. We got all the way through the mailbag. It's very well done. Uh, not, not too long. I, th- I think we did a pretty nice job uh, not staying... Uh, you know, on anything all that long. So uh, shout out to all of you for asking the questions. We're always happy uh, to do one of these and, and get one of these done. Honestly, uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't have done one now because there's a possibility of uh, around a week without basketball uh, if the Bucks get it done this weekend. But uh, we'll have to see exactly uh, how that all goes down if they're able to take care of business this weekend. So uh, 
for Frank, I'm Eric. Actually, just wait. I want to thank you for listening. And I want to remind you, you can subscribe to the show on the new Himalaya podcast app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play Podcast Locked on Eagles. And remind you that Wise helped bring you this podcast. Wise.com, that's W-Y-Z-E.com slash locked to get the guaranteed lowest price on Wise cameras. So for Frank, I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you later.